Good morning and welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets each week for worship. Our community is made up of all those who walk through our doors. So whether this is your first time here or your thousandth time here, whether you come from near or far, welcome home. My name is Tristan Jovanovic, and I'm standing in today for Sarah Tinker, our minister, who is on sabbatical, and I understand getting herself organised. And we'll light our chalice with words from Eric Heller Wagner. Blessed is the fire that burns deep in the soul. It is a flame of the human spirit, touched into being by the mystery of life. It is the fire of reason, the fire of compassion, the fire of community, the fire of justice, and the fire of faith. It is the fire of love burning deep in the human heart, the divine glow in every life. The flaming chalice unites Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists around the world. As we listen for a true story which sings, the song of the soul of the earth, and we feel it deep in our bodies and deep in our souls, because the song of the soul of the earth is our song too. When we pray for peace, when we think of people who are terrified of war, pray for the refugees and for children. If you ride your breath and your quiet mind, you will hear the heartbeat of the earth. You will feel the ebb and flow of the tides in the push and pull of the blood beneath your skin. As we pray for the earth, for wholeness and for healing, as development continues around the world for creatures which are pushed out of their habitats and face extinction. The air you breathe out joins the breezes that circle the earth. And when you breathe in, the air in China stirs ever so slightly. We pray for the unity of humankind, for those who end up on our shores and feel rejected, and for those who work to help them feel accepted. Where do we begin? Where do we end when we take the things around us? What we leave behind changes everything. We pray for our personal relationships, for damaged families, and for those in hospital, and those who care for them. A mindful moment sings the song of the soul of the earth, and we feel it deep in our bodies and deep in our souls, because the song of the soul of the earth is our song too. Amen.
We have two short readings from the Bible. And I've taken them both from the King James Version because I like the rhythm of it. The first one is from the first Kings. And God said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou here, Elijah? And in the Gospel of Matthew it is written, Jesus said, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. The words from the, I came across the words for our meditation serendipitously, um, and as I read them, and then turned the page and found the second section of it, they just seemed to flow beautifully together. So we'll have the words, and then some music, and then we're going to have a longer silence than usual. It'll be about five minutes. In silence which is active, the inner light begins to glow a tiny spark. For the flame to be kindled and to grow, the subtle argument and the clamour of our emotions must be stilled. It is by an attention full of love that that we enable the inner light to blaze and illuminate our dwelling and to make of our whole being a source from which this light may shine out. Words must be purified in a redemptive silence, if they are to bear the message of peace. The right to speak is a call to the duty of listening. Speech has no meaning unless there are attentive minds and silent hearts. Silence is the welcoming acceptance of the other. The word born of silence must be received in silence. So, one approaches by efforts which call for the deepest resources of one's being to the condition of true silence, not just of sitting still, not just of not speaking, but of a wide awake, fully aware, non-thinking. It is in this condition, found and held for a brief instant only, that I have experienced the existence 
of something other than myself. The thinking me has vanished, and with it vanishes the sense of separation, of unique identity. One is not left naked and defenseless, as one is, for example, by the operations in the mind of self-analysis. One becomes instead aware. One is conscious of being a participant in the whole of existence, not limited to the body or the moment. It is in this condition that one understands the nature of the divine power, its essential identity with love, in the widest sense of that much misused word. In her book, A Book of Silence, Sarah Maitland refers several times to a friend whose understanding of silence is very different to the author's own. The beginning of the reading is quoting from the letter. In the beginning, God said, God spoke. Silence is a place of non-being, from which all our yearning is to escape. In the beginning was the word. Silence is oppression. It is the word that is the beginning of freedom. All silence is waiting to be broken. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Genesis story has proved itself to be very powerful creation myth. Now, here is another creation myth. It is rather shorter. At, not in, at the beginning, there was the Big Bang. I am not using the word myth here to suggest that the theory of the universe was created by the extraordinary explosion of a singularity, the energy of which triggered the whole process of the universe, including time itself, is fictional. I am using the word more technically. The Big Bang is an attempt to express the inexpressible in terms of images and story, to break the silence indeed. It is not literally so. It is an image, a chosen, not an inevitable image, a representation. The Big Bang was not big, and it was not a bang, because there was nothing to make or hear any noise. It is not exactly sophisticated language either. In fact, I could argue that the Genesis writers did a better job, but under the circumstances, it will do. It will have to do. Indeed, the biblical ver version of this story, which I started above, immediately moves on to God giving Adam the right to name the beasts. Thus, we are told quite precisely Adam established his dominion over them by speaking, by naming, by breaking the silence of the wild. Having created Adam in his own image, God immediately gives him some of God's own particular creative power. In Genesis, people do not steal the power of naming and making from God. God gives it to them freely, without cost. Language, and with it the power to name and dominate, exists before the fall, not, not evil but good. All the three religions concerned... Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are highly verbal narrative faiths. Their adherents speak directly with their God, and their God speaks to them through texts as well as face-to-face. -face. 
all three see the creative capacity of language as innocent rather than arrogant, as divine rather than demonic. Naturally, a culture that sees power in speaking is likely to develop a creation by fiat story, and such a culture will obviously see silence as lack, silence as absence, not merely as negative, but as blank. The word desires to break the silence. That is the word's job. The modern world is uncomfortable with silence. London is a noisy city. There's an underlying noise here, even when the people and the cars are stripped away. There's a hum of air conditioning units, the distant rumble of the underground. And when you get out of central London, either into the countryside completely, or maybe just into one of the suburbs, the silence is surprising. I find it comforting. My partner, who's always lived in a city, finds it unnerving. I find it comforting because in the silence I can actually hear myself. There's nothing to block out. There's no need to wear my earphones unless it's windy and I want to prevent earache. And when it's quiet and we want to talk, we can hear each other. In the silence, Sarah Maitland writes, we are bare and naked. We let go of language, and thus we let go of one of the main organizing principles of civilization. We allow our inner wildness to emerge. She notes how, during a 40-day silence she undertook on the Isle of Skye, she began to engage in behaviors considered entirely unacceptable in polite company, picking her nose and farting. When we are on our own, though, and it's quiet, we also begin to find parts of our mental lives that we're not usually as comfortable with. Thoughts we don't want to think begin to surface. And it is possible to hallucinate orally. Make them describe something that I'm familiar with, and maybe you are too. Hearing voices after it's been quiet for a long time. The voices are just really noises, perhaps of the outside world, or even just inside our own heads. The call of our name on the wind pricks up our ears, more intense listening spooking our already fragile state, fragile because it's beginning to heal. Was this what it was like for Elijah? Listening for the voice of God on the whirlwind, but instead hearing it carried on the gentle breeze, that still small voice. As people of a liberal faith, we each find a different way of addressing that of the divine with us, within us, whether or not we choose to acknowledge that. Some of us are comfortable with the word God, others find it deeply troubling. Likewise for prayer and for worship. So if those words trouble you and you have your own substitute, then please use them as I continue. The silence allows us to explore our relationship with God 
on different terms. We have a verbose society where speaking quickly and confidently is highly valued. And many traditional religious traditions sometimes make it feel as if we should be in constant dialogue with the divine. Pray unceasingly, counseled St. Paul. Kurt Gardner, a Quaker who wrote a beautifully gentled book called God Just Is, Approaches to Silent Worship, writes about the strangeness of that sort of relationship that with the divine and what it leads to. Do we only want God on our own terms, he asked. If we were to meet Jesus or the Buddha or Krishna, would we insist on doing all the talking? Prayers, spoken and unspoken, as well as listening, are needed in the dialogue. We might feel that our prayer is pointless, unneeded by the Great Spirit. But I find Jesus' words comforting. When you, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray in secret. This private time, Gardner writes, is an opportunity not only for sharing our lives, but waiting with anticipation. I would add that going into the inner room is also metaphorical. And when I'm not here, I'm often at a Quaker meeting, engaged in the special kind of silent worship that makes the religious society of friends distinct. We sit together, not shut away, and learn to sink slowly into what John Graham described as the place where God and me mingle indistinguishably. We do not sit in silence to worship privately, but to engage in an active, communal waiting upon the Spirit, aware of the great responsibility it is to break the silence. But maybe all silence isn't just waiting to be broken, as Sarah Maitland's friend says it is. For when such words are spoken from the depth of a group's collective spirit, the words don't break the silence, but continue it. For the divine life who is ministering through the medium of silence is the same ministering through words. When I sit with my thoughts in silence, I realize how little I know about that of God within me. We must be careful of those who claim too much certainty about God, saying confidently that God approves or disapproves of certain behaviors, lest we create a God in our own image, idolizing ourselves or another person or an interpretation of the holy text. In the silence, we have time to listen to the leadings of our hearts and contemplate deeply the leadings of others' experience. From what else are we able to speak? Again, Kurt Gardner relates the story of a French peasant who sat in the village church for hours at a time, seemingly idle. This, of course, was not appreciated by the rest of the community. And when the priest questioned him, he said, I look at him and he looks at me. And we're both happy. In general, we have quite short attention spans in which to give our complete attention five or maybe even just ten minutes. Meditation guides often speak of emptying the mind 
as one of the key steps to the practice. And this always sounds so wonderful, emptying the monkey mind and silence at last. But it's so challenging. It's hard to sit in an empty room with a fly and not follow it with the eye. Words can, in that case, prove very helpful. You might have a favourite prayer or a hymn or a text you know by heart. I like, I like St Francis's prayer. And when your thoughts begin to go, you can begin to allow these familiar words to flow over you again and again, focusing not on their form, but on their meaning. And when you can once again let go, the freedom is immense. I realise I've been speaking as if we're all equally comfortable with silence, and I know we're not. Even the five minutes earlier might have made some of you feel very uncomfortable. But I hope you won't mind if I suggest that practice being silent, or in the quiet, is very beneficial, and eventually you get used to it. It's then easier to slip into your quiet place, whatever is going on around you. Being quiet and being silent aren't the same things. But they do, however, ebb and flow into each other. Learning to let go of the monkey mind, to be brave and turn off the television or shut the laptop, are all challenges in their own right. But in the meantime, we always have our inner rooms. So come to a quiet place with me. The deep peace of the running water to you, the deep peace of the flowing air to you, the deep peace of the quiet earth to you, the deep peace of the shining stars to you, the deep peace of the still small voice to you. Amen.